Show your patriotism with a flag from the United States Flag Service. They offer premium, high-quality flags that are made in the USA. Whether it's the grand old flag, your favorite military flag, or a historical flag, celebrate your freedom with the flag from the United States Flag Service. Go to usflagservice.com. That's usflagservice.com to see their selection of available flags. And then call 1-800-USA-FLAG to purchase your flag today. USA Flag Service. Fly your flag for freedom. Now, the Jen Charlton Show on 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Telling it like it is with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome, everybody. It's great to have you here with us. And we are having so much going on. You know, I often say we're in a five-dimensional war. And I want you to start the show this morning by listening to Christopher Ray in a hearing, a Senate hearing. And he's talking about the condition of violence here and abroad. Take a listen. Chairman Peters, Ranking Member Paul, members of the committee, Discussions about uh, the most pressing national security threats that w- what we face and, and what we're doing to tackle them are always important, but it seems especially well-timed this year with the dangerous implications the very fluid situation in the Middle East has for our homeland security. The reality is that the terrorism threat has been elevated throughout 2023, but the ongoing war in the Middle East has raised the threat of an attack against Americans in the United States to a whole nother level. Since the horrific terrorist attacks committed by Hamas against innocent people in Israel a few weeks ago, we've been working around the clock to support our partners there and to protect Americans here at home. We assess that the actions of Hamas and its allies will serve as an inspiration the likes of which we haven't seen since ISIS launched its so-called caliphate several years ago. In just the past few weeks, multiple foreign terrorist organizations have called for attacks against Americans and the West. Al-Qaeda issued its most specific call to attack the United States in the last five years. ISIS urged its followers to target Jewish communities in the United States and Europe. Hezbollah has publicly expressed its support for Hamas and threatened to attack U.S. interests in the Middle East. And we've seen an increase in attacks on U.S. military bases overseas carried out by militia groups backed by Iran. Here in the United States, our most immediate concern is that violent extremists, individuals or small groups, will draw inspiration from the events in the Middle East to carry out attacks against Americans going about their daily lives. That includes not just homegrown violent extremists inspired by a foreign terrorist organization, but also domestic violent extremists targeting Jewish or Muslim communities. We've already seen that with the individual we arrested last week in Houston who'd been studying how to build bombs and posted online about his support for killing Jews. And with the tragic killing of a six-year-old Muslim boy in Illinois in what we're investigating as a federal hate crime. But as I said a few moments ago, on top of the homegrown violent extremists and domestic violent extremist threat, we also cannot and do not discount the possibility that Hamas or another foreign terrorist organization may exploit the current conflict to conduct attacks here 
on our own soil. We have kept our sights on Hamas and have multiple ongoing investigations into individuals affiliated with that foreign terrorist organization. And while historically our Hamas cases have identified individuals located here who are facilitating and financing Hamas's terrorism overseas, we're continuing to scrutinize our intelligence to assess how the threat may be evolving. But it's not just Hamas. As the world's largest state sponsor of terrorism, the Iranians, for instance, have directly or by hiring criminals mounted assassination attempts against dissidents and high-ranking current and former U.S. government officials, including right here on American soil. And along those lines, Hezbollah, Iran's primary strategic partner, has a history of seeding operatives and infrastructure, obtaining money and weapons, and spying in this country going back years. Given that disturbing history, we are keeping a close eye on what impact recent events may have on those groups' intentions here in the United States and how those intentions might evolve. For example, the cyber targeting of American interests and critical infrastructure that we already see conducted by Iran and non-state actors alike, we can expect to get worse if the conflict expands, as will the threat of kinetic attacks. But across the country, in each and every one of the FBI's 56 field offices, we are addressing these threats with a sense of urgency. Among other things, that means working closely with our federal, state, and local partners through our FBI-led Joint Terrorism Task Forces to ensure that together we stay laser-focused on mitigating threats, taking an even closer look at existing investigations and canvassing our sources to improve our intelligence and then sharing that information with our partners, and doing all we can, working with our partners, to protect all houses of worship and people of all faiths here in the U.S. Bottom line, we're going to continue to do everything in our power to protect the American people and support our partners in Israel. Now, protecting Americans from the threat of terrorism is and remains our number one priority. But as you all know, the range of threats we battle each and every day is enormous. From cyber attacks to economic espionage, to violent crime and narcotics trafficking, and everything in between. And none of the problems we tackle is getting any easier. So that was Christopher Ray speaking about the current state of affairs in U.S. regarding the violence that's abroad, but it's coming here. And the one thing I want to impart to everybody, and this isn't conspiracy theory, it's based on facts. So people want to conflate some ideology with facts, and then they call it a conspiracy theory. We've talked about that. The fact is that there are people who have come through the southern border who are foreign operatives. That's a fact. The fact is about 10,000 Chinese have come in who are military age and military grade young men. We know that people are coming in who are Hamas. We know that they're here. I've already spoken to several people in DOD and contacts that are working in the military. We know that they're here. My question is, to what level have they embedded themselves in our 
quote, democracy infrastructure, like some of the jihad supporting people in Congress, like Tlaib, who's flying the Palestinian flag in the U.S. Congress <laughs> building. <laughs> it's troubling. So I thought I'd reach out to a good friend of mine who has a global view of things. Uh, she is British. She is an immigrant and has lived here in U.S. for a while now. Um, but she also is a businesswoman who's worked globally. And I thought, let's look economically at what's going on. But then I really thought we need to integrate it with the violence because that affects us. How we do commerce, how we do business. Do we go to a mall? Do we go to a movie theater? Do we go to a bowling alley? Because we're afraid something's going to go wrong. So it is affecting our ability to live freely. So welcome and good morning, Hillary Fordwich. It's great to have you with me. Yes, great to be here and to have a chance to share my global perspective. Only one little correction. Yes, you're right. I was British born. I do still have my British passport, but I'm a proud American with an American passport too. Oh, there you go. A dual citizenship. I love that. And, and you know what I always say? I'm an American by choice. Very good. Very good. Well, you know, <laughs> we could have a whole show just on that, right? But my mother was an immigrant. I, you know, I've said often, you know, it is a choice to be here. If you hate us it so is. much, please go. You don't have to be well, here. Well, and actually, on that note, people have actually said I should run for office, which I never shall. But if I might just interject, I would like to have a national pl platform, and it's called the Switch Out Platform. Now, we all know America's not perfect. It certainly is not a perfect nation by a long stretch. But we're a great nation. And I always go back to what Reagan said. Reagan said, don't bring me problems, bring me a solution. It's okay to criticize our nation. We're in a free country. Like you said, we're in a democracy. But... If you don't fundamentally love America, and if you think this is a dreadful country or a racist country or a biased country and this country's out to get you, sign up to leave and the U.S. government should have a switch out program. You know what that is? The U.S. government should give $1,000 cash because it's a lot cheaper than putting people on welfare and social housing and everything else. Give people $1,000 cash, fly them to any country of their choice in the world they want to go. And switch them out for a person standing in line who wants to come and work here, work hard, and be a contributor to the American economy. Do you know how many times I get in an Uber or a taxi? It used to be a taxi in the old day. And I just, just yesterday morning was in a taxi, and the, the gentleman was from Nigeria. And you know what? He loves America. We, as an immigrant, we always talk, always talk to him about this, like coming to America, why we came, and how great this nation is and the opportunities. Too many people in America, I think, grew up here. They take all their freedoms and the greatness of America for granted they don't realize how lucky they are and they should go and they should go somewhere else in the world. And if they want to come back, they can go to the back of a line of all the people in those nations that want to come here. Amen, sister. <laughs> I love it. I think that's brilliant. And, and you know, w the fact that $1,000, frankly, in some of those third world countries will go a long way if they'll let you, buy, if they'll cheaper, let you buy the toilet paper. For, for us. What's yes, that? as a taxpayer, we'd be much better off just to give them $1,000 for good and be done with them. Yeah, I think you're you're right, and that might be even on the low side. Heck, you know, I, I think when you look at what it what it's costing to, you know, let's say an illegal immigrant comes across, and let's say it's a woman with a baby. We're paying for the baby care. We're paying for the mama care. We're paying for housing, clothing, and food. And, oh, by the way, a nice she-she hotel up in, up in New York 
thanks to Mayor Adams. So, you know. Oh, and all their health care and all their health care costs. Absolutely. All their health care costs. I mean, it's a ginormous number. So but let's let's talk a little bit about, you know, transitioning from this idea of immigration into the terrorism that's here. And, and uh, Director Ray refers to that, you know, we're we're in a position right now where we're incredibly vulnerable. And the problem yeah. is. And I'm going to say it, it's it's just the Democrat leadership. I don't think all Democrats subscribe to this, but I think a lot do that that we, we need to be nice. We need to take care of people. You, you know, it, their problem is our problem. And we overburden ourselves when, and we're not even taking care of our own veterans. I mean, a shout out to Michael, uh, you know, that was standing in front of Trout yesterday with a veteran organization. I gave him some money and talked to them a little bit, you know providing housing and food and so forth because there are veterans who can't pay their way and they've served this nation. That's just wrong. So, well, it is. Yeah. yeah I'm, and, I'm on the board of, I've been on the board of ESA SEALs for years and we provide the veteran staffing network where we train people coming out of the military to put them back into the commercial sector. We help veterans families. And you're absolutely right, Jen, because those men and women are suffering. They don't have the right funding for regular life. They maybe not be able to, they have some kind of disability, get back into the workforce. And we're not providing them with the sort of social support and housing support and medical support that we do illegal immigrants. And by the way, on that note of linking these two subjects, it's actually an invasion at the southern border. How come we haven't mobilized our military to stop it? Absolutely. I agree with you 100 percent. And and I think it's because there's an agenda. There's an agenda. And, and I've, I've called numerous times on air here that that clearly this individual Biden has violated his whatever it is, oath of office, and he needs to go. I mean, if you're not willing to do the job that the people supposedly put you there to do, then get out. Same principle applies. Switch him out. So, well, and you know the irony of it is the big irony. I don't think they realize, especially recently. Um, it's actually obviously under the Bidenomics. You know that um, declining Black and Hispanic in terms of the Federal Reserve has said declining in terms of their net worth and their economic opportunities. And I think something that the, the Democrats don't seem to really focus on and realize is fundamentally a Hispanic family, you know, oftentimes very religious, oftentimes very conservative values. I would tell you that what statistically in the U.S., those that have come in legally, particularly, and I can say this as an immigrant, those of us that went through the legal process, the laborious, by the way, legal process, actually are even more resentful than naturally born Americans because we know what it was like to go through that process. They actually, Hispanic legal immigrants, resent those coming in illegally. And there's nothing to say that those that are coming in illegally, once they do start working and get into the system, obviously, who knows what will happen in terms of um, forgiveness for terms of being an illegal, who's to say they'll ever vote Democratic in the long run? So the Democratic Party is alienating black and Hispanic workers and voters. Well, and I would also say that there's probably a methodology by which they're also uh, infusing those voters into the voter rolls so that we could be – it could be advantageous from the standpoint of election fraud 
to bring all these people in. It's hard to track. You know, there's a lot of muddiness around the voter rolls. And I think that that's part of it. You know, when you get it, if some places are giving them a driver's license, if they're illegal, which I don't get. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Shocking. I couldn't do that in Sweden. I couldn't do that in probably Bermuda. I mean, Bermuda doesn't even let you Shocking. own property if you're not Bermudian. I mean, so th- th- this well, they, whole... They've changed that law now, but you're actually, by the way, just so you know, you're yeah. actually right. That's one of the reasons why actually... Back in the day when I became an American citizen in 1983, I kept my British passport at that juncture, mainly because all my American friends were saying, like, you should keep it because one day you could buy property on Bermuda. They've actually changed that rule now. But you're right. That used to be that way. And the other thing, when you're mentioning um, Norway and Sweden, you know, there are countries I lived in Holland, okay, for five years. Okay, there are countries where socialism or socialistic society does work. And actually, I think in terms of intellectually, it is sort of like a a higher form of human existence, if you like. But this is a huge but that we don't have in America. We certainly didn't have in England. It's a cultural thing. It actually originates from the Vikings, which was literally, and this is to to break down socialism very simplistically for people, which is 100 percent fact based, historically based. When the Vikings were in a boat, everybody was rowing together. Now, you weren't in that boat unless you could really row hard. Now, if somebody pulled their back out, they all knew they'd all sink if they didn't keep rowing. So they would row row extra harder because of that one man whose back went out, right? The society was literally developed on you take care of somebody who's less fortunate than you. But here's a huge caveat compared to America and England. But that's an, an assumption is made that everybody works hard. When I was in Holland, and very, very few Americans have had this experience. I had my first baby in Holland. Are you ready? The neighbors actually came over and they like brought me a cake and everything and were very, very nice when I had my baby. And I thanked them all for being so nice, the Dutch people and my, my broken Dutch, and then they all spoke English. But they all said to me, oh, yes, well, we come to, to, to help you, give you the cake. But the Dutch are very blunt. They also said something that should shock people and wake people up about socialism. They said, we do this also when someone hurts their back or they're out sick and they're on sick payments. We always bring a cake. I said, oh, how nice. And then they said, Ready? They said, but we also check to make sure they are really sick so that they don't take sick payments if they're not sick. Because there's an assumption everybody looks out after everybody else to make sure everybody's working really hard. That doesn't happen in America. That doesn't happen in England. That's another reason why socialism works in a completely different culture than ours. And I would like every American that thinks that they like a more socialistic society to try and go and live in one of those socialist countries. And then they find out how it really works. And they're not pure socialism, by the way. They're really, really hardy working, capitalistic, socialistic society. Beautifully said. I, uh, that's a great story. And, uh, you know, on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back. I have with me today Hillary Fordwich, who is an international businesswoman and well versed in so many of these different economic issues, which we're going to touch base on after the break. You're listening to The Jen Charlton Show, and we'll be right back. When was the last time you had freshly made ice cream or candy? Sweeties on the Creek offers a wide selection of fresh, creamy ice cream made with natural flavors. Stop in for a new fun flavor or a classic yummy favorite perched on a freshly made waffle cone. Just in, Sweeties has a huge assortment of candy, including freshly made in-store delicious chocolates. Your young ones will love all the plush toys and fun gifts, too. Sweeties on the Creek, just up from Market Street. We're scooping now. Past editions of this program are available in the audio vault at WFMD.com. 
Welcome back. This is Jen, and I have with me today Hillary Fordwich, who is a contributor now on Newsmax. You can see her on the Chris Plant Show now and then. Hillary, why don't you give people your background just briefly so people know uh, your international business experience? Thank you very much, Jen. Yes, I don't want to bore our audience to death. Just in a nutshell, I used to head global business development for KPMG Worldwide based out of Amsterdam and then also was headhunted out to head global business development for a systems integration firm with a global systems um, development center in Manila. So I spent a lot of time in Asia, a lot of time in every, I've always said I've been to every A city in Europe, um, to all of the European countries and obviously across the U.S. So my perspective is that as a business person, and I've always said it's such a pity that actually our politicians, not just in the U.S., also in the U.K., but other countries, it's such a pity that politicians are always usually from the legal ranks. They're off, they often have a legal background. And I always say, but they didn't make payroll. Lawyers are, pay, are based and paid on precedents and talking about things and looking at all the problems of things and issues, which is why the government's always having all these hearings, tons of hearings. As a business person, I'm sure a lot of members of our audience are thinking, wait a second, who's paying for this? Why are you doing all this? So my perspective is, is, is fundamentally two things. Global, you probably can tell from my accent. I was born in England. I'm a proud American as well. I have a British passport, an American passport, but it's a global business outlook because I've been there, I've done that. And then also, I think hopefully it's very important to our viewers, our listeners and viewers that when I'm on the networks, is, but I've also had my own company now for 23 years. I've made payroll. I've built a business. So I've been at a global level and a smaller local level in the U.S., a national level and a U.S. level, but also not only have I built my own business, I've been a single mom, so I'm a head of household. I pay bills. I have to make payments. And one of the things I love to say is, you know, when I pay my credit card bills, when I pay my mortgage, when I pay my kids' tuition and my car lease, you know what? There's no little box saying, oh, you know, you're a woman. Why don't you whine instead? Or, oh, you know, you're an immigrant. Like, we'll take care of you. Nobody does anything for me except for me. Like, I have to pay my bills. And I think if everybody could realize, like Margaret Thatcher said, there's no free lunch. Somebody somewhere has to pay the bills. And so I get up every morning and I think, what do I need to do for my clients? What do I need to do for my family and my friends? And how can I contribute to society? Because we'll all be better off. And that's my global national American outlook. And that's great advice for everybody listening. You know, it's kind of simple. Just get up and get it done. And uh, that's yes. great. So <laughs> let's let's from that perspective, let's talk briefly. We've got a couple of minutes before our next break, but I, I, maybe what we'll do is we'll set it up. We'll come back and have everybody dig into this idea of economics. What do you think is the foremost thing that people need to deal with? as small business owners to make it through the current reality we're in. So I'm going to pose that question. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back with Hillary Fordwich. You're listening to the Jen Charlton Show. I'd like to thank our sponsors, U.S. Flag Service, a great place to get your quality flags, any kind you like, he's got them. U.S. Flag Service, go to usflagservice.com. And also, Sweeties on the Creek, we're scooping out. We'll be right back. Free Talk, 930 WFMD. Welcome back. This is Jen, and I have with me today Hillary Fordwich, who is a contributor on uh, various uh, television networks, and I'm just honored to have her here with me, and she's so knowledgeable about business. So, Hillary, when we look at um, what's been going on, and we talked about small business, and you have that global perspective and the small business owner perspective, 
And so many people right now, I know I am as a small business owner, really concerned about the condition of the environment for economic growth. Clearly, it's not that, although they'll say, you know, Biden is touting that we're better off. But when people go to the pump or the grocery store, or pay their electric bills, mine have tripled. My 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 electric bill at my business has been jacked up so high. It's 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 destroying my ability to grow my business. I mean, that's a whole nother show on the cost of energy right now. It's it's out the roof, literally. So but. When you look at that from how would you advise people today? Because I, God willing, President Trump gets back in in 2024 and he knows how to write this ship and he can do it quickly. He's demonstrated he can do that. But we have to make it through until November of next year or probably January the following year. So we're a ways off before we're going to get through this uh, difficult time. Thoughts? Yes, no, you're absolutely right, Jen, for small businesses. And now this is going to sound somewhat self-promotional, but even if you take it separately, take out totally anything to do with me, um, the tagline of my company is how to gain and retain clients. I am a supply sider, and I believe and know that if you don't grow the top line, nothing else matters. You can keep cutting, you can cut, you can cut costs, you can cut, but if you don't grow the top line, you're not going to grow and actually you won't even stay in business. So how do you gain and retain clients and customers in whatever business you're in? Uh, David Mason was a Harvard professor. Um, he actually wrote a book called Managing the Professional Service Firm. He studied law, law firms and accounting firms predominantly. So he was really in the professional services realm, but this goes for any business. He said from his studies, and he was very well funded by Harvard, and it was before Harvard turned sort of as woke as they are, but this was back in the 1980, late 80s. He wrote his book in 1995. He found that it is four times, four times more cost-effective to retain a client than it is to gain a new one, to retain a customer than it is to gain a new one. So everybody listening who's in business, you must retain your current customers and clients. If you don't, they basically, it's like a breakup. They've divorced you. They've walked away from you. They've left you, which means there's something wrong with your business. Of course, you have to fix that. You must make sure that you retain your existing clients. So business development, everybody's always focused on, oh, I need new business, new business. Retain what you've got. But as I said, my tagline is how to gain and retain. But you have to gain new business. And that comes down to one word, one word. What do your customers want? It's not need. For example, if you're listening to this and you're a lawyer, an accountant, an architect, an engineer, anybody in the technology space, a dry cleaner, a restaurant, it's not what people need. People need to eat dinner. They don't come to your restaurant because they need to eat dinner. They come because they want your food. If you're an accountant, sorry, I'm really sorry, but it's a commodity. And a tax, completing a tax return is a commodity. What people want is not just their tax return done. They want this brilliant servicing. They want to save money on taxes. Figure out for your business one word. What do my customers want? When you know what they want, then you will be able to gain more and keep them. And a lot of want is based on differentiation. You can't be the same as the accountant next door. You can't be the same as the law firm next door. You must differentiate yourself. Generate what people want. And you can gain and you can retain your customers and your clients. If you have a customer base that you retain and you gain more, you're in business. Now, at the same time, to answer your question, big, 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 big picture, sure, you should cut costs as well. I mean, don't be frivolous. Don't spend money you don't need to. But you've got to retain and you've got to gain your client and customer base. 
That is it in business. And if the government un- understood more about that, for example, here's a good example. Globally, economically, something very few people focus on this. As America, a great nation we are, if you tax something more, what happens? You get less of it. The more you tax something, you get less of it. So in the U.S., does our audience know what our global tax rate is? For corporations, it's 21%. And you always hear Democrats and you always hear people saying, raise the tax rate on those global, like, greedy companies. Do you know what the tax rate is in Ireland, the corporate tax rate? It's 12.5%. Do you know that over 6,000 companies have their headquarters based in Ireland? Why? They leave the U.S. They don't want to be in the U.S. There's over 1,000 of the world's top corporations and if you go you can and by the way everything i'm saying for our audience everything don't just take my word for it please google it and look it up you can go to the official government of ireland site it's called education in ireland and it talks about low low um leading global companies nine of the top 10 global ict companies are based in ireland eight of the top 10 gaming companies eight of the top 10 pharmaceutical companies Six of the um, seven of the diagnostic companies, 15 of the top 20 medical device companies, and 50% of all the world's global financial service firms are based in Ireland. Why? Because as America, we've driven them out. Going back to my original point, as America, we should gain and retain corporations that pay taxes here, not in Ireland, and then America would be far better off. Oh, love that. I mean, that was brilliant. I, that was such a service to our listeners. I really appreciate that. And, you know, it brings me to something I'm dealing with right now in my business, which is property tax. Now, property tax from the standpoint of what equipment I own in my gym and other incidentals, but primarily the equipment, that's the bigger values. And, uh, you know, I have to issue that list in anything I purchase, which I pay sales tax on. I have to declare that for that year and pay a property tax on it as well. Yeah. And I asked the woman, I said, wait, 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 I already pay tax on this. She said, yeah, this one's different. <laughs> so when you look at Maryland and, and how we overtax and overburden our businesses, it's such a shame because it, it's very and, and short-sighted. You know they leave. Go ahead. Yeah, and they, and they, they leave. You know where they go? They go to Virginia. They go to other states. They don't want to be here because um, they don't want to pay. And that's just property taxes. And then there's um, employees. And then there's every single tax end-to-end throughout your business is higher in Maryland. That's why they leave. Like, you remember when Governor, when um, Martin O'Malley was running for governor and somebody asked him, is it true that a 1,000 millionaires leave Maryland every year? And he didn't have an answer. That's why I, the houses around where I live, so many of them remain empty for what? Five months and 29 days. Why? If you leave Maryland for six months and one day and have an, a main residence in another state, you don't have to pay the Maryland taxes. So people want to have a foothold in Maryland. Why? Because they, they have their families or, you know, the communities here or whatever. But they're not spending the money. They're not buying groceries and gas. Do you know gas is 65 cents cheaper in Tyson's than where I live just by the border. Where do you think I get my gas every week? People go to Virginia for things because the taxes are lower. It doesn't matter what political party you vote for. Please raise your hand if you say, no, 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 I would rather pay 65 cents a gallon more for my gas. Yeah, the Maryland uh, 
fuel tax is outrageous. It, it's one of the highest. Uh, but, you know, Maryland's no different than New York and California at this point. And it's because of the failed leadership here. And frankly, you know, it didn't get much better under Hogan, I don't think. So, we're, you know, we're back to, you know, overburdening and losing people. And like you said, a lot of people have flown south because they're not interested in being a part of this economy anymore, which is a real shame. But it affects us locally in terms of business owners. Um, let's talk a little bit about global economics and U.S domestic economics and how that integrates in terms of where we are today. From your business perspective, what do you see is the future for us over, let's say, the next six to 10, 10, 12 months? Because I'm hearing we are definitely in a recession now. The numbers bear that out. And we're headed toward a depression that could be worse than the 1930s. Is that just propaganda? Is that just a conspiracy theory? Or is that truly what we're on track for? Well, you know, Jen, first of all, uh, yeah, and everybody in the audience should realize I'm not an economist, so right. I'm not going to make economic predictions, but I, I can tell you what I see, good news and bad news. Okay, one of the greatest things about America from a, a resilience standpoint, and actually I, there's actually a global expression is when America sneezes, the rest of the world gets the flu. And that is we, why are we a more resilient nation. One of the things is we have built in to, and don't ask me where exactly and how it originated, I don't know, but we have built into American society this, this consumer spending that has been incredibly resilient. The CPI index, the consumer um, index is really high. Now, I think part of that is actually a sad reason. I think part of it is, and, and very sad for your show and all the networks I'm on and all the news shows, it used to be that in the evenings in America and actually in the rest of the world, sort of family would sit down and the only news you got was basically three or four networks at night. And if they said, you know, there's going to be a recession, everybody was listening and then everybody would like rein in their spending because, oh, my goodness, there's going to be a recession. Plus, in America, there was a very huge influence economically from the Great Depression. People's grandparents or parents at one point had lived through the Great Depression and they knew and they could feel what it was to have nothing. The Second World War, though, did not affect Americans in the same way as it did my mummy, obviously English, we lived, grew up in England, feel what it was. Um, and, and no matter what would ever happen, she'd say in the war, because of how dreadful it was, the rationing, and there, there wasn't anything. And we lived a very, even though we weren't poor, a very frugal life, very fiscally conservative. Wasn't the same as that in America. So now we have a generation an entire generation, and my proof point in this, I've got a proof point for everything I say, Jen, for our audience. My proof point in this is the Taylor Swift spending this past summer. It was called the Taylor Swift spending stimulus. Why? Because it probably con contributed 3% 3, 3 to our GDP. Because GDP was up by 4.9%, there was an immense amount of spend all around that. Now, that was on services. That was on travel. That was on concessions. That was on very much, obviously, the service industry. It wasn't fundamental to our economy. So our GDP was buoyed by what? I'm now going to bring together everything I just said. By a generation who isn't influenced at all by their parents that went through the Depression. That, that era is gone. That era has passed away. So the young generation today in America that spends, 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 they just see things on their TikTok. They're not sitting down with, like your parents did and most parents probably did in America. They did not sit down and watch the daily news the night before. They did not hear, oh, there's going to be a recession and they might lose their job. So they are what I call consumer immune. They are consumer immune to the news gen because they're not 
hearing it and they're not influenced at home by it. So then what do they do? They go out and spend, 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 hence the Taylor Swift spending this summer. They spent frivolously, they traveled, they bought all sorts of clothes and things and concessions that no one ever needs. That's what is different about America. So my faith in America is always this incredible optimism. You could call it frivolous spending, but it's, it's, it's boys and economy. Whereas there are other nations where they, they, they batten the hatches down far more because they're still so influenced from the Second World War and they have a far more conservative view to spending. So that's the optimistic part of my view for America. Well, I, it's interesting you say that. My background has been very strong in the consumer products, marketing and sales. So I, I'm good at seeing what consumer trends are. Just I've worked in fashion. I've worked in, in entertainment, now fitness. I know, I know trends, right? So, but when you look at that... Um, that consumer spending, U.S. got ourselves in trouble because we we could buy cheap now the China products. When that started happening, you know, how many little black dresses do we need, really? You know, how many pairs of black shoes do you need, really? But we we just had this voracious appetite for these consumer products that we could buy cheap, and it be, became a habit. And, you know, now it's it's hard to afford them because those consumer products are, although still cheaper than U.S. produced items, they are um, they are either in short supply, so that's driving the price, right? Or they are uh, raising their prices because they can, because, you know, all of economics has, has risen with inflation, which is a whole nother show, which we won't really get into today unless you have a thought about it from the inflation standpoint. I'd like to take a quick break. And you're listening to The Jen Charlton Show. I have with me today Hillary Fordwich and just a brilliant mind on these things that we're looking at from a business perspective. And thank you all for listening. We'll be right back. When was the last time you had freshly made ice cream or candy? Sweeties on the Creek offers a wide selection of fresh, creamy ice cream made with natural flavors. Stop in for a new fun flavor or a classic yummy favorite perched on a freshly made waffle cone. Just in, Sweeties has a huge assortment of candy, including freshly made in-store delicious chocolates. Your young ones will love all the plush toys and fun gifts, too. Sweeties on the Creek, just up for Market Street. We're scooping now. Welcome back. This is Jen, and I have with me today Hillary Fordwich. You know, Hillary, I was thinking on the break about something you said, which was the mindset of the younger generation, because they've grown up with IT, they've grown up with computers. You know, I remember having to balance a checkbook, which I found incredibly painful. I wonder if these kids even know how. You know, I, I don't think oh. that that's even in the um, in the tactile, if you will, of of their everyday activities. Your thoughts? Oh, Jen, they don't even know what that is. And think about it. Think about also the fact that they have calculators on their phones and calculators. They don't even know how to multiply and divide. I don't want to ditz an entire generation uh, behind us. And I, I certainly know that my, my millennial children are, are wonderful and very fiscally responsible. But maybe that's because they were brought up in a household. Yes, where I was uh, very fiscally conservative. And I think it all comes to people's really their personal 
experience in life. And that's where linking it back to what we were talking about before, that you know, most people in America now don't have any, any sense of what happened in the Great Depression, nor the Second World War, nor actually think about it. Maybe they were affected really, I, I suppose they were affected probably by the 2008 crash. They probably might have seen their parents um, have, a, have a tougher time. But unless their parents lost their job, I'd like to come back to what Reagan said. Reagan said a recession is when your your neighbor loses their job. A depression is when you lose your job. So now to bring two things together that you've asked. One, you asked about, do I think we're heading to a depression? And two, you're asking about um, you know, checkbooks and, and the fiscal responsibility of the generation that is now really in, coming into force in, in, the, in the workforce. The Wall Street Journal actually a while ago was talking about what they called a rich essence. A rich essen, meaning not a recession, but the, basically the rich ah. facing a recession more than anybody else. Right. That because of all the the COVID stimulus spending, a lot of sort of like you know the, the blue collar labor labor classes were were buoyed by that fiscal spending. But a lot of and the, the services market, as we know, there are 11 million unfilled jobs in America in the service sector, which is why when you go into any restaurant store, you're usually going to see a, a sign saying help wanted. Go into any supermarket, certainly in Maryland, you'll always see help wanted in, in your giants and your Safeways because there are 11 million unfilled jobs. But where there's going to be this sort of recession is greatly predicted. It's, again, the Wall Street Journal referred to it as a recession. Why? Two major factors. One. The high high interest rates, a lot of real estate loans are coming due. A lot of people's interest rates are going to go up on their real estate. Commercial real estate is going to have even more pressure on a lot of businesses with with assets such as real estate, one. And secondly, as consumers maybe do pull back, and if we do see oil go even higher, it's now about $82 a barrel and Brent crude is $86 a barrel. If we see oil prices go up, 5,933 products are affected by the price of oil. That is what's going to affect the consumer. So now if I link up everything I just said, yes, the younger generation will feel it when it impacts them, which it really hasn't now. The richesson means if they're in technology and have a technology job, as we know, Mark Zuckerberg had the year of efficiency, which meant he let people go. Uh, Elon Musk has let people go. They're, with these strikes around the nation, you're going to see more companies automating. Companies are looking at what's happened with Kaiser Permanente with the UAW strike, and they're automating. So add all that up with increased automation, the price of oil going up, commercial real estate, and interest rates affecting commercial interest um, uh, businesses, you will see all that impact this generation in a way perhaps They've never experienced it to now the last part of your question, which is because they've never balanced a checkbook and they have just a credit card, which is a miraculous thing, isn't it? You can keep using it and spend, spend, spend because their credit card companies want you to have a greater debt. And it's made so easy. Yes, they are likely to have a big hit on them. And many people predict it's going to be the end of this year. I say it won't be. You know why? Because we're heading into an election. And on my last point is there's something that scares me almost as much as anything in America, and not many people talk about it. It's the SPR. The Strate Strategic Petroleum Reserve is at its lowest rate in, than it's been in 40 years since 1983. What does that mean? As a nation, we only have about 17 days reserve of petroleum for to make our economy run. And as I mentioned, it's 500 5,933 items in our economy affected by that. All if right, so hold on. Let me, let me, let me d d chime in on that. Sorry. This is an egregious 
violation. This is an example of what I started out with. Violation of O'Biden's oath. And it's yes. not just Biden. It's O'Biden. It's his whole entourage of people who are destroying our nation and putting us at risk. And what that strategic petroleum reserve is meant for is if we go to war domestically, we better be able to fuel up our tanks. If you can't, you know, if you can't fuel up your airplanes, we're in big trouble. And, and Jen, yes, you're 100% right. And the re- I always say two things. Number one, it's called strategic because of what you just said. It's actually a national strategic protection for our nation. But number two, you're right about our vehicles, but it's not just our vehicles and our planes. It's 5,933 products in our economy into which petroleum goes. Our, our economy grounds to a halt in just over a month if we have no petroleum. This is not by accident. It is by design. Well, it's because Biden has used it to keep um, gas prices low. Why? Because when you're at, going back to everything now, if we wrap this whole show into it, sort of a nutshell, overall, people don't know the details of what's happening. There's only five things, really, I would say every American knows about. There's only five things. One is what is the price of gas when I go fill up at the pump? In fact, the only people probably who don't know are the elites because they have a chauffeur who goes and fills up the limousine. But your average person, they know the price of gas at the pump, right? They generally know the price of groceries or somebody in their household knows the price of groceries. They know what their living expenses are, whether it's their mortgage, interest rate, their rent. They know how it, what it costs to actually physically be in an abode or if they're homeless, they know what that feels like. Then they know if they've got a job. And they know if there's crime or low crime in their area, if they feel safe. Those are five things. So one of the five, and the administration knows this, and we're in an election year and pulling everything together. My point is this. The reason they have released the barrels of oil they have and they've drawn it down to the lowest level it's been in 30 years is because they want the price of gas. It's really actually very low still in like $3, around high threes, $4. Because we're in an election year, it will stay stable or maybe go lower, which is terrifying. And that's why they're doing it. And everybody listening to this feels that. What you're saying is they're subsidizing, basically, using the strategic reserves. And uh, at this point, let's remember that our dear President Trump, who they wish to demonize. Why? Because he was effective. They can't have that him be effective because that shows they're, that they're ineffective. But he was well, effective. Well, they, and it was because he, he was effective, but also he wasn't part of the, the, the established, you know, the, the, deep, the deep state. Thank yeah. God. And the deep state is so crystal clear now. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's wide out in front right now, and everybody needs to see it for what it is. But he also had refilled, he had reestablished and um, leveled up the strategic petroleum reserve so and yes you're right and he bought the oil at a lower price per gallon i think when he bought it i think it was 62 dollars a barrel i have to check on i don't want to state facts that are incorrect but i think it was about 62 dollars now we can't top it up at this rate because it will be so expensive and that's why actually the biden administration hasn't i think i believe i think i read somewhere that they were planning to refill it but of course now with the war in the middle east brent crude is going up i don't think they were planning to i don't think they ever were and here's the thing now to wrap it up again where we started, which was in terrorism and violence here in U.S., 
by doing what Biden did and and closing down our resources so we could be energy efficient and self-sufficient at a low rate, he has driven the costs up. We're buying at a much higher rate, which is, get this, paying these terrorists a whole lot of money to fund their terrorism. So when we look at Hezbollah and we look at Hamas and these various groups, we are we are we are making their job easier to attack us. And on that note, we're going to close the show. And I want to thank you, Hillary, for being here because you've given us so many pearls of wisdom. And I really appreciate the great work that you're doing to inform people. And I look forward to having you back again, Hillary Fordwich. Thank you. you. Everybody have a great week. This has been an important show. Please share it with people. We'll get it out on the web just as soon as we can. And you can always also find some of our past podcasts on Rumble.com, the Jen Charlton show. Have a great week.